Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you, open up to Matthew chapter 8. Hey, we're out of the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, we're, we're coming out of the Sermon on the Mountain, and Jesus, he gives this, this massive word for three chapters, and he, and he gives this word, and then immediately what Jesus does here in chapter 8 is he goes out and he lives the word. He doesn't, only, he doesn't only preach, this is the kingdom, and then walk away and leave people to figure it out. No, Jesus actually goes and he walks with people And he lives out the very words and the very standards and the very commands that he just gave to his disciples. And remember, the 12, they aren't assembled yet. So disciples, uh, the disciples we're talking about are those people that were gathered on the mountainside. Those people that were there for the Sermon on the Mount. Remember in chapter 4, before the Sermon on the Mount happens, he was healing people. He was casting out demons. And he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And then there's this crowd that comes around him. And those are the disciples. Any, a disciple is, is a follower. A disciple is a follower. We talked about Jesus as being a rabbi, right? And he, he did call some specific close disciples to himself. We know as the 12 disciples. And, and, and he, to them, he is the rabbi. He is their teacher. He is the one that they just stake everything on. They follow. They adopt his words and his teachings and his way of life. And so we're disciples. And so we follow everything he says. We adopt Jesus's way of life. We adopt his way of life. And so we, as his disciples, we are following Jesus. And so large crowds start to follow Jesus as he starts out of the Sermon on the Mount. And we look at Matthew 8, verse 1. He says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. It wasn't just the 12. Great crowds were following Jesus. And these were his disciples at the time. And, and they were following him. And, and he was healing. He was casting out demons. And he was proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of heaven is near, that it is in him. So Jesus, he gives that epic teaching He gives this amazing teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he goes about restoring people then, as, and then he teaches his followers to do the same. What Jesus is doing, as we will continue through Matthew, it's, it's brilliant. And what Jesus is doing is he's giving us, he's giving his disciples, and now that we have this word, us, he's giving us a masterclass on life. A masterclass, that is to say something that is taught by, to students by an expert, like the most prominent of that field. And so Jesus is giving a masterclass on the kingdom, on the kingdom life. And we just looked at the kingdom lifestyle and the kingdom values uh, out of the Sermon on the Mount. And then Jesus steps out and he's giving a masterclass. Um, When I was an electrician, so I was an electrician, and um, I, uh, when I first got signed up, I, uh, when I was 21, I got a job as an apprentice. And uh, so you sign up, and I'm an apprentice, and I had done a little bit of construction for a couple of years, um, but uh, never in the electrical field. So I signed up as an apprentice, 
I go and I buy this basic set of electrician's tools and I show up just like there's not a speck of grease or dust or it just like you just look like the new guy, right? And and you just like there's there's no denying on that job site that that guy barely knows what he's doing. So I showed up and I knew basically nothing. And I was paired with uh, what they call a journeyman who had uh, his electrician's license and he knew a lot more than I did. And so as such, he starts giving me tasks and teaching me some things, yes, with with his words, but for the most part, just getting me on the tools and doing the trade. And then a part of that, was uh, 10 weeks out of every year, I would go to Red River College and I would learn about the electrical trade. And so I would learn all of the physics and bookwork and stuff like that. But I, but I noticed that I could learn everything out of a textbook about electricity, about the, about the job, and I could go back to work and it didn't do me basically any good at all. I could, I could tell you about it, but it didn't do me any good without seeing the technique and how to apply it. Um, and so I needed to follow these journeymen throughout the, the rest of the year and learn the trade. And that is exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly the model that Jesus has of discipleship. There is teaching, yes, just like this. On a Sunday morning, we do teaching. Tonight, you can join me for teaching on the armor of God and discussion there. Um, and, and teaching is good. But it, Jesus, what he's doing is not just making people that know about it, but he wants to make disciples that know how to live it out. And so what Jesus did was he actually lived it out with other people, with his disciples. That's what Jesus is doing. He's teaching, he's doing, and he's even teaching as you go. You know, moms, it's Mother's Day. You know, very like there's those moments in a day where something happens and you just kind of have to pause and it's, it's a teaching moment, right? And you just have to say, okay, uh, this is the lesson out of this. You know, Sammy or whatever your kid's name is, da, 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 right? You have those teaching moments where you pause in the middle of an experience and you teach as you go. And Jesus does that as well. Um, so today, uh, we're going to look at, we're going to go a bit quicker uh, through uh, Matthew um, in, in the coming weeks. Uh, and we're going to look at all of, all of chapter 8. We're not going to hit every point in chapter 8, but we're going to do an overview today. And we're going to look at four, maybe five, if we have time, scenarios that Jesus led his, his disciples, his crew into. As, and they were learning lessons here. And, and we get to learn lessons here as well. And so if you're ready, we're going to just dive in. This is Jesus's master class. He had just taught them, and now he is showing them. So first, uh, in Matthew 8, right at the beginning, he, he heals a leper. Let's read it together. Starting at, we're going to start at verse 2. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand, and touched him. Okay, I just want to pause actually. This is real life encounters with real human beings. Remember that. Remember, this is, this is happening. This is real. This is real time. So Jesus stretched out his hand to this leper and touched him, saying, 
I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So right away, Jesus comes out of the Sermon on the Mount and he is, he goes and he, and he restores this leper. And so it's much more than just physical, like the physical healing is like, like mind blowing already. You're like, wow, that's awesome. And he goes, and we know if you've been in church for any length of time, we know that the leper is, not, is an outcast. He's an untouchable in society. You can't go and touch a leper. They are put out of society. They are a lesser than, right? And so that's where this leper finds himself. Not only that, but because of that, he was not able, he would not have been able to enter the temple. He would not have been able to go and worship God and be in that place and be in the presence of God in the way that he was supposed to as an Israelite. He was cast out. And so the very first act that Jesus does is he comes and he touches. He reaches into the brokenness. He reaches into the hurt. He reaches into what the world would say is untouchable and gross, and he restores it. But not only physically, he restores him and says, go, go to the priest. You can actually go worship now. And in that, in that day, that was the ability to go and meet and be right with God. And so right away, he's restoring Jesus right away is going and restoring. He touched this leper and untouchable. And so he's living out the reality of what he said. I mean, we love the idea like, yes, Jesus, I love that you love the broken and the poor and the hurting and the deplorable and the sinner. We love that Jesus loves sinners because we're sinners. But then we look at people and do we really love the sinners? Do we love the untouchable? Do we actually want to touch the untouchable? Jesus just said in Matthew 5, remember on the sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those like this leper that he came and he stepped into his life and he touched him and he healed him and he restored him to the father. And so Jesus right away is living out what he was just saying. You're blessed. You're blessed because the kingdom is right here and it can be yours. And so Jesus moves on from there and he heals the centurion's servant. He goes on from there and we're going to read it in in verse 5 to 13. And so when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one go and he goes and to another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, He marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you with no one in Israel, have I found such faith? I tell you, many will come from East and West and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. At that very moment. And so Jesus comes out of touching this leper and healing and restoring him and, and allowing the leper to have that experience and bringing restoration practically, tangibly, in real life, not just words. And then he goes and we have this centurion, a Roman. Israel was occupied by Rome and Rome was not a friendly occupation. They were nasty. This is the enemy. A Roman? Like they were filth. They were scum. We hate the Romans is what the Jews would have been thinking. And Jesus, Jesus was a Jew, is a Jew. The Messiah, right, was coming and he was Jewish. And now the thought in the day was that the Messiah was going to come this great and promised Messiah, and he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. I mean, how could, how could a Messiah, not, and, and the Old Testament prophecies, they speak of a king that is coming to wage war, and he is going to reign in Jerusalem forever. And that day is coming yet. That day is coming. But these folks that were hearing this great authoritative teacher in Jesus witnessing miracles, hoping for a Messiah, were thinking he is coming to wage war and this Roman is done for. But what does Jesus do? It's astounding. He comes and he actually has a conversation with this centurion. And then he has this teaching moment. He pauses it's that, it's that pause in, in this situation. He pauses and, and, he, and he looks at his disciples. Guys, guys, seriously, I tell you, nowhere in Israel, like you guys think you're the promised people and you've got it all figured out and, you, and everybody outside of your people, who cares about them? But, but I tell you, I haven't even seen faith in the, in, in the chosen people of God like I have in this Roman that's offensive. That's offensive. And so Jesus says, because of your faith, because you trust and believe, your servant is healed. You can, you can go home and, he, and he's healed. And he was healed. That's amazing. And so Jesus is living out in harsh reality. Like this would have confronted uh, the culture of the day. He's living out in harsh reality what he just taught about. This was Jesus's masterclass in full session. This, there's this deep-seated superiority complex of Israel, and it was something that needed to be broken. And so Jesus is teaching him. Mean, this is this masterclass, and it was in full session. He had just said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. But he wasn't just going to sit back and say, good luck. He entered into it and he lived it. And people were watching this. And he, he calls us to that. And that's discipleship. It's believing the right things, but it's also stepping out and doing and just walking with people. 
he knew that this was going to be a challenge and this is going to take some time to learn like this upset everything in the mind. But he was walking them through it. And so that's the second, this healing of the century. And I know we're just really glossing through this today. But then Jesus goes from there and he, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And that's in verse, the next couple of verses here. So starting at verse 14, let's read it. It says, when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Man, there's so much in this little chunk. But um, Jesus came and again, it it notes that he touched Peter's mother-in-law's hand and the fever left her. Jesus was coming in. So first, he touches a leper. Second, he goes to a Roman. And now this mother-in-law. First of all, in that culture, a, a woman was not valued. Not like, like they were not to be seen. They were to basically to be shunned and looked down upon. They were supposed to be, be silent and not seen and not valued and given dignity in that culture. That's just the way it was. It was a woman normally ignored, certainly not given attention by like this prominent authoritative teacher who is like, has this following. He's kind of a big deal. All of a sudden he has so many followers and the day women were seen as corrupting influences. Actually women were seen as corrupt and that they would corrupt the men. They were basically to be looked down upon, but Jesus comes and he flips this entirely. He flips it entirely. He gives dignity to this woman in Peter's home. What's, what's important, what stands out is that he sees her. Jesus actually sees her in a culture where she would be ignored and not seen at all. He sees her and he sees that she's suffering and he goes and he touches her and she's healed and she's restored. He sees her because Jesus is showing that every human has great value and has dignity. Every human being is made in the image of the eternal God, and he loves each and every person. We live in an age where racism and sexism are the hot topics of the day. And Jesus comes and he says, hey, you guys, I love you guys. Everybody has dignity. There's different, there's different roles and different places and different people and personalities. We don't all get to be the same. It's not a cookie cutter thing here. But I love you guys. This is what Jesus is saying. Women have great value. Great value. Jesus taught that. Jesus taught, as we went through the Sermon on the Mount, how much people matter. Remember, he taught not to let anger get the best of our relationships, right? 
Actually, that we should value those relationships so closely that we would actually go and make relationships right as far as depends on us before we even go and worship God. He taught us to, to value women, to value them, not to, remember, not to the point of just, well, hey, I didn't get to a, an inappropriate place of sexual immorality, but actually, he, he said, like, even if you have impure thoughts, you, you're already crossed the line. To see people as sons and daughters of God, not objects to dehumanize. Anybody. Anybody. That's what he was saying. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is not okay in the culture of Jesus. And so Jesus, he... he he touches a leper, the untouchable, restores him to the temple. He goes to the Roman who was, he was expected to overthrow and, and, and gives him grace and mercy. And then he goes and he sees this woman and he gives her value and dignity, dignity and, and, and humanity. And so Jesus is giving a masterclass on living out what actually is important to him. And he, this, this Chapter is so packed, you guys. So we'll skip ahead a little bit. And Jesus calms a storm. Very familiar story. Super familiar story. Let's read it together. 23 to 27. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? It's a very familiar story, right? Jesus is sleeping on the boat. Many of us have had coloring pages come home if you have little kids of, of this picture of Jesus calming the storm, right? And, and it's wonderful. And we love that story because it's like, yes, Jesus has authority over storms and waves and, and creation and he is God and that's awesome. That's awesome. But he is also teaching his disciples important things and he's doing it in, in the context of life and life lessons. When life is messy and things don't make sense, the disciples were absolutely freaking out, as most of us would probably do in a storm. We would, we would be freaking out. Some of you are freaking out right now about the state of the world and what is happening. Are you in the boat with Jesus? Are you in the boat with Jesus? Because Jesus, he wakes up because they wake him up. And he calls them out. He says, you have little faith. You have little faith. It's actually, it's actually offensive <laughs> to hear the words of Jesus that he just said on the mountaintop to trust him. They have a wonderful, good father didn't he just say that? Didn't he just say that they have a wonderfully good father? Don't be anxious about your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things are going to be added to you. I'm going to take care of you. And we know that that's not a prosperity gospel sense, but we do know that God is going to take care of you. You do not get to sit in fear. Or, and I never want to hear those words, oh, you have little faith. 
What did he say? This Roman has more faith than all of you because he trusted in me simply. He trusted in the power of Jesus, in his authority. Do you trust in Jesus' authority? Because Jesus is giving the disciples, and I believe us today, a masterclass on trust and faith. Do we actually believe these words that we don't get to be anxious about our life, but actually we just seek him and we know we're secure? There's nothing that can happen. You can, I can die physically right now and be fine because I am in love with a Savior God, Jesus Christ. And if you can honestly say those words, then you're fine too. You're fine. Press into Jesus. Beg him for the faith if you have to. I believe, Jesus, forgive me for my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. That's what we get to come to say to him. And he has such great compassion. And guess what? Jesus is going to reach out and touch you too. Jesus is going to reach out and touch you when you call on him. Just like the leopard. Jesus, would you? Yes. Yes, he will. Jesus, would you? Would you come into my life? Yes. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. He wants to. He wants to come into your life. Yes, he will. I want to look at, that's, that's the fourth thing. I want, to, I want to take time for one more. Trust me, I will be quick. Jesus delivers men from demons. Jesus delivers men from demons. Now, this is, this is something that we don't uh, operate in a ton today, but I'm telling you it's real. We live in a very... Uh, real spiritual reality. And if you deny it, it doesn't matter because it's real. You can pretend it's not there, but it is. We live every day in a war. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. I know who's winning. It's Jesus, that kingdom of light. But that kingdom of darkness is warring. That's actually uh, a part of what we're going to be looking at tonight uh, as we dig into Ephesians 6 and the armor of God. But what Jesus did here is is he, he was coming in, well, let's just read the story. 28 to 34. When he came to the other side, so after that boat ride, right? To the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? See, I just pause. Like the demons know what's up. <laughs> they actually know what's coming. Demons who, who don't call Jesus Lord, they at least understand who he is and that he's actually coming to torment them sometime and they're going to be done for. But they're trying their best to hang on right now. Anyways, let's keep reading. Now a herd of many pigs which was an unclean animal to the, to the Jewish people, was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. Guys, I don't know, I don't know if you have the red letters, but that's, that's the only red letters. It's that one word, go. 
So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. You know, I would, I would be more inclined to saying, it was crazy, this herd of pigs just jumped off the cliff. But what was most astounding was that these guys that were plagued and demonized and, and, and just filled with pure evil were set free by this guy. Like, that's the greatest thing. These guys, like, everybody knew what, that they were just, like, they were just gone. They were just gone. They weren't in their right mind. What they were proclaiming most of all was what happened to these demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Now there's a bunch of messages there too. But um, Jesus was delivering, advancing, establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth. He was showing the power of, of God on the earth to drive out the forces of darkness. If you don't believe that's still a reality and a possibility today, you don't know Jesus and his great power. If you who once have been, have been in the kingdom of darkness before you knew Christ as your savior, as your Lord, if you, if you don't believe that, that the kingdom of light is, can advance on the earth, then you don't believe that you can even be saved. He drove that from you. I believe that many are living plagued with the demonic. And I believe that the enemy is clever, very clever, and it won't show. It won't show. Why would he show his hand if, and make it obvious? Sometimes it is obvious. I've seen, I've seen obvious things. And I, I can promise you the power of Jesus is still active today. Because he is powerful and interested in advancing his kingdom on the earth. His kingdom now. And it gets personal. It's for those two men. It's for Peter's mother-in-law. It's for the centurion, for his servant, for that leper. It's for those disciples that were on the boat with him. Jesus gets into your personal lives and establishes the kingdom in your heart. Sets you free from bondage, from the enemy. Jesus was not only speaking with authority, but he was living out the authority in real life. And as he ascended to heaven, he placed that authority on his followers, on his disciples. And it's still going today in real life and in real time. This is his authority. He was teaching them. As one who had authority, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he has given us great tasks and great authority as we are seated with him in the heavenly places. As he's seated at the right hand of the father. The word tells us that Jesus, though he was God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped or held onto. But he emptied himself and he humbled himself by becoming a man. And because he, though being God, became a man, was the greatest humbling. None of us can be that humble, ever. None of us can ever make that much of a gap. Because of that, God, because this is the, the economy of heaven, 
has exalted Jesus to the highest place forever and ever. And that's where Jesus is. And he calls us to that place with him for his glory, for his name's sake, and so that his kingdom would be established on the earth through his disciples as he gives us a master class on how to do it. And that's going to continue. And I, I actually believe that that's what Jesus did is how we should live. As we set our hearts to a radical discipleship plan. Just lives that, yes, the teaching, good. Sundays, good. Yes, Sunday nights, good. Yeah, Bible studies, great. Living life, seeing the kingdom advance by touching the untouchables, giving dignity to every single human being, loving your enemies, trusting in God for everything, not being anxious about your life. Stepping in to that reality of the power of the kingdom of heaven and walking it with one another. There's going to be some of you that are far, far past me that I need to follow. And there's going to be some others that are brand new at this. Please, I just say this. No matter where you are, find somebody to walk with and follow and be discipled. Not just teach, not just teaching, like life. Be discipled. Someone who, who you see like just is really, you know, those people that are like really patient in hard situations, really gracious when it would be easy not to be. Those types of people follow, follow those people and just ask, ask them and just watch and, and just ask for their advice and their wisdom into your life. It's not disconnected from us, this master class. Are you a follower of Jesus? We get to walk our own master class with Jesus. We get to do that. We get to do that as we dig into his word. This word. As we spend time in prayer and we listen to him for his good direction for our lives. Matthew outlines this, this teaching for us and then the action that follows. And he actually does it time and time again. There's five different sections as we'll continue through the book, Matthew. Uh, there's the kingdom lifestyle in the Sermon on the Mount. And now Jesus is walking and living it out. And then in chapter 10, he's going to give us the kingdom mission. And then he's going to live it out. And then he, and he sh shares with us uh, kingdom growth. And that's the, parable, the parables of the mustard seed, right? And the leaven and how the kingdom's going to grow. It starts going to start small and go big. And then he gives us in, in chapter, chapter 18, he gives us uh, kingdom community, pieces for what the church needs to look like after he's gone. He gives us the kingdom community and, and how to live that out. And then in, in 23 and 24, or 24 and 25. I forget. He gives us king, 24, 25. He gives us kingdom future. Thanks, Nick. Kingdom future. What, what it's going to look like to come. And that's the greatest and glorious hope. And he lives it out. And we can be sure that he's, that he's going to accomplish this in us as we follow him. His grace for his followers to come along is so deep and so, so long. Um, as we see how he lives and, and we, as we align our lives to do the same. And, and this is all by the power of the Holy Spirit. His word tells us, Peter wrote that his, we, we have, have been partakers of the divine nature, right? We have been given everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, in the Holy Spirit. We've been given everything we need. Jesus himself needed the Holy Spirit to fill him 
to do his ministry on the earth. And so do we. Often, I think we, we insert ourselves into these stories, right? We read the leper, we read the story of the centurion or the servant or, or the mother-in-law or the scared disciples. And we think like we are always the untouchable or the lesser than and, and, and the sinner and the broken. And, and you know what? That is, that is where Jesus meets us initially. And that is wonderful. But he also restores us and calls us to a place of discipleship and discipling others. That's Matthew 28. That's the very last words in Matthew that we're going to get to eventually is go and make disciples. And we get to do that. We get to do that. We don't get to stay in the sad, untouchable state, but be restored and then help restore others. That's what we're called to. Sometimes we are like the untouchables and we desperately need that compassionate healing touch for our mind, our soul, our spirit, our bodies. But Jesus calls us to make disciples. And then it's wise to consider how he went about it. Teaching and walking in the practical and the messiness of life. Day in and day out, living the culture of the kingdom of heaven. And the reality of it with a gracious, loving father all the way through. You know, Matthew talks about the kingdom extensively in his gospel. But he also, uh, 44 or 45 times, uh, refers to God as father far more than any of the other gospels. Actually, God is a loving father, Abba father. He's also King and Lord. And we get to do this. We get to walk this with our kids, with our small groups, with our friends. We get to do this to one degree or another, walking out, being discipled and making disciples. It's still God's heart to drive out darkness And it's still God's heart to restore humanity and dignity to people made in his image, everybody. And we get to be the vehicle in part to how this happens. So continue in Jesus's masterclass. Continue looking to him to how this can be done and believe that it can be. It's going to be really fun and uh, really messy along the way. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy. It's so exciting to me. I just picture those disciples just witnessing this for the first time. God, forgive us for our over-familiarity with this. God, there's times where we just think that, oh yeah, we've heard these stories. Jesus, you're amazing. We need this. We need this today. God, your, res- your restoration, we need a restoration in our hearts. We need a restoration in our country, in our culture. Lord, restore us. And then not just because we want to be restored and feel good about ourselves. We want your name to be hallowed. We want your kingdom to move and expand and, and advance on the earth. So use us then, God. Teach us. Don't leave us in that state of just begging on our knees, but then restore us, send us that we would be in the presence of God restored. And would your power flow through your church? Would your power flow through us, God? I believe that you are doing a mighty work in hearts and that there is a time coming where this church, Pine Ridge Church, will be able to move in the power of God and in humility before others and before you. 
to see your kingdom advance on the earth, that there would be dozens of baptisms happening right here in this very tank because you are awesome, because you are good. So Lord, humble us. May we come to you, the master teacher, the master discipler, and just agree with everything that you say and do. And that we would say yes to everything that you ask us to. Because it's so good and it's life. Lord, we love you. We love you so much. Thank you for being our God. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Happy Mother's Day. Hope to see you right away. God bless.